Just welcome to the uh, back to the championship vision podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. This is episode 320. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Tamika Dudley. Coach Dudley is currently the head girls basketball coach at Sidwell Friends School in Washington, D.C. In just her third season at Sidwell Friends, she led the team to a 30-0 record, winning the ISL state and national titles, which was the first time in school history for the girls' basketball program. The team finished as the number one ranked team in the country, according to ESPN and Max Preps, and Coach Dudley was named the 2022 Naismith Coach of the Year. Dudley currently coaches three FIBA USA gold medalists and four players who are nationally ranked in ESPN's top 25. Dudley also coached and led the school's first ever National Gatorade Player of the Year and Naismith Player of the Year, Kiki Rice. Dudley also coaches her daughter, who's the fourth ranked player in the class of 2024. She also has coached grassroots basketball for the past 14 years. She is passionate about building a culture of hard work, team spirit, and striving for excellence. You won't want to miss this podcast. Coaches, I'm so excited to be back at the Championship Vision Podcast to begin my uh, growth and learning of the game of basketball. Uh, this is episode 320. I think you're really going to like this. One of the best basketball coaches in our country, currently the number one ranked team Sidwell friends out of Washington, D.C., Coach Tamika Dudley. All right, coaches. Hey, this is Coach Kevin Furtado back. Episode 320, Tamika. So I've done quite a few podcasts, but uh, I've been out for a little while, coming back, starting over again. And uh, we got the great Tamika Dudley, the last year's Naismith Coach of the Year. I know you were awarded that in Atlanta here, uh, Coach. So I don't know how your trip in Atlanta to Atlanta was, but congratulations on the great success. Uh, she's also the coach of Sidwell Friends School out of Washington, D.C., and uh, doing a great job building a great national program out there. Coach, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen and ask me questions about our program. So super excited to be here and, and definitely grateful. Yeah, I've, def I've been definitely, I like to study great coaches on that. You know, I, um, I've been coaching a long time. I actually, uh, I'm a PE teacher as well. So I do a lot of fun stuff during, yeah. uh, but uh, I'm here to learn. And uh, let's talk a little bit about you. You were a great player at Woodbridge where you also coached uh, 17, almost, I'll say 2000 points coach. <laughs> but you're 1,745 points, but what I, uh, you also 380 assists. I mean, you had a great career in high school. Talk about your high school career and your great mentors and influences. Yeah, um, well, I had some really great coaches to start out. My first, well, my first college, high school coach was um, Tim Taylor, who currently is the head coach of Navy women's basketball. Okay. Um, had a long stint at UVA also at Furman. He was at UNC for a little bit. As a matter of fact, he recruited my daughter to UNC when he was there, uh, which is like life full circle. Um, but I was so fortunate to have him in my life, my first three years of high school. Um, what a way to start out your career by being coached by such an amazing mind of, for, you know, of the game. Um, so he coached me for three years and he really was the person that inspired me to 
you know, have this love for basketball and use it as my vehicle. Um, and, but even to this day, like we have a great relationship and uh, he definitely inspired me to co- go into coaching. Um, and then, you know, after he left, I was coached by uh, uh, George Washington who coached at Woodridge for a long time until I took over for him. Um, but, you know, the one thing I learned from him was about how you take care of people. Um, and he was uh, you know, a military guy. So he like taught me so many things about like the military and, you know, how things operate and how you, how you lead and, you know, what it's like to lead a group of people into something like a battle. Um, so I took a lot away from him and I learned a lot from him as well. Um, it was different from Tim, like Tim was great. He pushed us hard and, you know, uh, taught me, you know, to like, you know, be this tough leader and to be self-sacrificing and all those things. But I think George taught me more about like how you take care of people. How do you get people to go along with you and follow you? Um, and so I, both of them were great influencers and role models for me, uh, not only as a player, but still to this day as coaches, I call both of them all the time and ask them for advice. Yeah, it's always good to have those mentors to go back to. Uh, give me an example of what Coach Washington, uh, give me an example of what you're using now at Sidwell that has really helped you. Yeah, well, uh, he has so many like little uh, phrases that he says all the time. Like he said, know your numbers, when in charge, be in charge, like those sorts of things. But I don't think it's more like what he said. It's how he treated us um, and how he treated me. You know, he's the kind of person that anything you you need, if you ever need anything, you can call him. Um, you know, when Kendall was little, uh, I coached at Woodbridge when Kendall was maybe like, you know, she was maybe not even, she was probably an infant or two. And I was coaching across town. And um, so I was coaching at Potomac High School, which is across town. I wasn't at Woodbridge yet, but Kendall went to daycare right across the street from Woodbridge. So sometimes he would, I would call him and say, hey, can you grab Kendall for me because I can't make it over in time, whatever. And he's the kind of person that was like, okay, I got you. Like drop everything and go pick up, um, go pick up Kendall. Um, you know, so in that regard, like just the kind of person that, you know, would do anything for his players. And it's not just me. I mean, he did it for, you know, anyone because he just believes in taking care of people. You take, take care of the people who take care of you. Um, right. And so I really try my best to show people instead of tell them like in my actions and how we do things. Yeah. And that's, uh, people will follow you, man, when they know you care about them for sure on that. That's, that's the, I know it's an old cliche, but it's so true. Um, yeah. Coach, talk about, I mean, you've had some great players. Talk about your great point guard you had last year, Kiki Rice, now at UCLA under a great coach out there. Talk about the impact that she had on your program. Yeah, I mean, Kiki, as good as Kiki is, she was even better off the court and who she was day to day. Um, extremely humble person. Um, a hard worker, really like set the tone and led by example, um, and just a great teammate, like did whatever it took to, you know, make sure that everyone felt valued and um, that everyone was on board with our mission, not just, you know, hers and what she, you know, but like us as coaches, she did a great job of um, really embodying what we wanted our program to look like. Um, and so she was great for the foundation of the program and really set the tone in her actions, uh, her mentorship to other players. Um, but just everyone talks about what an amazing talent she is, but it didn't, it's not on, it wasn't on the court. I mean, she did a lot on the court, but off the court did so much more. And it took her a while to really fully take on that full, like she learned 
through the three years that we had her, like how to become a better leader. Cause Kiki's kind of a quiet personality, but we really pushed her to be more vocal. Um, and her senior year is when it all kind of all came together for her in that regard, but did so many things to help us establish the foundation. Right. Give us, uh, you give us one example of, you know, maybe her leadership kind of, you know, stepping up for the team and, and key, maybe in at, uh, a time where you had a lot of adversity. What, when did she really kind of show what kind of great leader she was? Yeah, I mean, I would say there were like little little glimpses of it here and there. But like, I think like in like the big games, like the DeSoto game, you know, we were really rattled the second game against DeSoto last year. And I think Kiki did a good job of like every time things kind of got adverse, kind of got the girls together, you know, in, whether it was in the game or like at halftime before we got into the locker room, just, you know, corralling the troops and, you know, giving them positive words of encouragement. Um she never, I think, too, it was more like how she cared herself. She was never like in a panic, um, you know, when things got bad. She always stayed within herself. Um, and I think that alone kind of gave the girls some security, like, okay, Kiki's not panicking. We're not going to panic either. But right. like just her like ability to stay calm and poised in those really tough situations, even if she wasn't having her best scoring night or she was struggling, it never, she never forced anything or just tried to take everything over on herself on her own. Um, she really did a good job of trusting her teammates and um, and still allowing them to kind of be themselves and helping, you know, and make them better players. Uh, but all the while staying steady, even through, you know, adversity of her own. Um, so, you know, those are the things that she would do. She wasn't like this big time vocal leader, but because she always was just really steady and never like highs and lows and didn't get out of control outside of herself when things were when we were struggling, I think it helped the rest of the group stay really calm. Right. Is that, um, and let's, let's kind of transition to your current team. Like what, what's, I know you have some great players come back, including your daughter playing on that. Um, what is their mindset now coming from last season? I know it's hard to kind of repeat, but what is your mindset this year? What are some of your team goals that you guys have established this year for this team? Yeah. I mean, we, this year are, um, a very, a very, I think we're actually a better passing team this year. Um, in our first four games, we've had a different leading score every single game. Um, our point guard has, Leah, had 24 assists in four games. Um, so we are a much better passing team this year. Um, and, you know, I think the one thing that we've talked about over and over again with this group this year is just like, you know, sacrifice and hard work and, you um, you know, the little things, the details, I mean, those are the things that we, uh, you know, we've always kind of focused on, but this year kind of even more so, um, just the details. I, I want to say, like, I feel like we have like this hybrid group of players where we have these athletes that could play free and creative. But then I think the nice part about it is when those things don't work for us, we have the ability to run an offense, like, a, you know, like a you know, more structured set setup. Um, our biggest challenge this year is that we have four new kids and we've never had that many new players on our team from the time I took over. Um, you know, Kendall was in eighth grade when we first got here, but she practiced with us every day. So there was no transition really for Kendall. And then Leah was the only, and Leah and Marley were the only two that came in and they came in during COVID. So we had a whole year of like practicing and like scrimmaging before they had a transition to actual high school game. So if you can imagine, we only had we really didn't have a situation where we had to transition this new group into our program and our system. So this year, 
We've got Jordan Jackson, who's an amazing freshman who plays a lot of minutes for us. Uh, we got a kid, Ava Yu, who's a point guard, freshman point guard for us that comes in for Leah. Uh, we got a transfer, Zanya Soka. She mm -hmm. transferred in from GDS. Um, so she's going to be, she plays a lot of minutes. So we have three kids that are going to play quality minutes for us that we now have to teach them how to assimilate to our culture, to what we do on offense, what we do on defense. Um, so that has been a challenge for our kids, those returning kids to lead them in that way. Coach, talk about the great competition that you got to face out there. I know, um, and I'm sure you're also facing a national schedule as well. Yeah. You're playing the best of the best. Um, talk about Washington. I know out here in Georgia, there's some great teams out here in Atlanta and so forth. Uh, um, Matter of fact, I'm going to be speaking later with a friend of mine, Keisha Brown, yeah. that uh, played for UGA, a good friend of mine. And um, I mean, talk about the great talent in Washington, D.C., not only on the boys' side, but on the girls' side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like in our backyard, we have, you know, St. John's nationally ranked, Bishop McNamara nationally ranked, Paul VI nationally ranked. I mean, we have three nationally ranked teams, like within whatever, like a 15-mile radius, 20, you know, right. at most. Um, and, you know, that's a great thing for girls basketball. We, you know, we've had opportunity in our first four games to play four nationally ranked teams in the top 25. Um, so our schedule is very competitive. I wouldn't want it any other way and neither would the girls. Uh, we want to play the best and, you know, you'll always put yourself at risk for taking a loss. But I mean, we're not, I'm not afraid of taking a, taking a loss because we're competing. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, like the DM, basketball in the DMV is highly competitive. And, uh, but I love it. And the one thing I really love about it now is I feel like as coaches, even though we're competing, like I'm starting to feel more unity amongst the coaches, which I, I love that for me, because I feel like we can all do stuff together. Really great, great things for girls basketball. Do you, you like to, I mean, I know I like, I like to steal things from other coaches. Some people don't, don't use the word steal, but I, I mean, um, but uh, do you take some things that other programs are doing and bring it to yours or you just like to kind of do what you guys do? No, absolutely. Like I am a, I am, I'm a known stealer of different ideas. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> like our boys coach, I constantly am asking, picking Eric's brain for stuff. Um, when I was at Woodbridge, I'll share with you, we couldn't win. We were three years in a row to the state tournament, almost to the state championship, three years in a row. We could not get over the hump. Um, and so I actually took our girls team to a Potomac boys basketball in our area. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but they've won multiple state championships. So I asked Keith, who was a good friend of mine, if I could come over and watch, bring our team to go watch them practice. I just wanted the girls to see what, like, what it looked like. What does a state championship team, how they practice? And uh, he let me do that. And so like, I'm big on like sharing ideas and like learning from others. Um, I think that actually is what makes me pretty special as a coach the fact that I can take, I'm not like, I, I don't need to learn by going through it. Like I was, I'm not even like that as a person, right? Like if I see someone else doing something, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. So um, I actually think that makes me special because I don't really have this ego of like, I know it all. Um, and so I want to continue to learn and learn from others who are doing, like, if I can't teach my kids how to, you know, set a proper ball screen, I want to look at who's doing that and how do I get my kids to do it? Um, Which I like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, and I want you to talk about like, what are your separators at Sidwell? Like, what are some things that feel like you guys do that really nobody else does that separates you guys from the competition? Obviously you're doing that and maybe you're too humble to say anything, but um, 
what do you guys do that separates you guys from the competition? Whether that's defense, practice planning, what do you guys do special there? Yeah, well, one of the things that, um, you know, I feel like we do a good job of is that like everything we do, we make it competitive. You know, every single thing we do, because one of the things that I learned is like kids don't know how hard they can go. Like it's hard to teach them how to, you can say it until you're blue in the face and you go harder and you go harder, but like, it's not until you do things or put things in place to change the behavior. Um, so we're big and I'm very big on like every drill we do, I'm trying to think, okay, how can we make this more competitive? If we want them to, to be better offensive rebounders, when we do a drill, um, they only can score off if they get an offensive rebound. Like points don't count as offensive rebounds that count as points. Um, or, you know, like, are we, we weight things more? Like, you know, that may be two points if you get an offensive rebound versus everything else is one. Sure. We really try to find ways in everything that we do to drive the competition. Um, you know, we do this drill we do it's kind of like a version of the 11 man break but we call it 10 man break which I stole from a coach and um <laughs> you know one of the things we do is like okay whoever gets seven rebounds first in the drill now it's a regular three on two two on one drill um most people are focusing on like transition and making pass so what I'll focus on sometimes is like if you get seven rebounds and you can stay in the drill then you win so now we're driving the competition for rebounding so I think the one thing that we have over a lot of people is our competitive edge and I think a lot of that comes from us driving it in practice every day and then just also be having an eye for it and not accepting mediocrity, stopping it and saying, like, you didn't go after this rebound. Like, I'm helping them to recognize and identify, like, okay, why didn't I? Like, we had a kid yesterday that wasn't in that drill, wasn't rebounding. I'm like, even if it goes to the net, compete for the ball. And I was like, well, why weren't you doing it? Because she's tired. Like, you're doing this when you're when you're so. Those little things I think make a huge difference. I, I feel like what makes me special is I have a really uh, good eye for like the small things um, and I don't let it go. Like I don't let those things slip. One of my, uh, one of my favorite people is Alicia Komaki out of uh, Sierra Canyon in California. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she's got the best, I steal things off her. I mean, she's got the best practice planning program and drills and, uh, and so forth. Um, is it, is it, do you like to focus on like specific drills that you do every day or do you like a variety of drills? Give us an example of what you guys do in practice that, that's doing what you're talking about, the competitive side. Give us an example inside your program a little bit. Yeah, so so but what, what we do, first of all, is we'll, we'll use our film to um, hang on for one second. I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, can you give me one second? Sorry. Sure. Yes. <laughs> the tire. All yeah. right. Let me pause. Yeah. Tracy. Yeah. All right. Okay, so one of the things we start off with is um, we'll watch once we start to get film. First of all, in our first couple of weeks, everything's just hard. We just make it really hard and we teach them our concepts and our principles like and we just hold them to those things. But when we start watching film, we'll look at the things that we want our kids to do. And then all of our practice planning is based on that. So, for example, like we hedge and trap ball screens. Um, and so that's something that every single day we work on hedging and trapping ball springs and hedging trap, and we put in drills to just rep, 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 rep. Even if it's five minutes a day, we'll break up into two groups and we're just working on that concept. Um, so that's how we like really um, get good at some of these little things that make a huge impact. We, I learned years ago, we could never get our kids to um, defend on ball screens the way we wanted them to. They couldn't get over the top, getting, they got confused. So I was like, let's just head this trap every ball screen. Um, and so, and it's funny because when we got to Sidwell and we were able to trap like Kiki on that in practice, I'm like, well, shoot, if we can trap Kiki, we can trap anybody. You know what I mean? Like, right, sure. that was kind of my mindset. So 
we definitely like isolate the things that we value in our program, in our practice. So um, those things we um, spend a lot of time on repping out, repping out. Um, every single day we start out with our offensive review. And we, we learned over the years that the, girl, the girls are better in the first part of practice absorbing and learning offense than they are the second half of practice because they're tired. So it's not as crisp and as sharp as we want them to be. Um, so we'll start off with offensive review. And the way we typically do is we'll send them down 5-0, run the offense, and they'll come back 5-5 against the team that's waiting. And they run it, and they'll go through it and go through. We do it like 25 minutes or so a day of just going over our offenses. That's why when we get in the game, we don't run it. I'm like, we do this every day for 20 minutes, and we're still not running that's it. That's right. Back, you know? <laughs> sure. Um, but then we'll also, what we do is we do breakdowns. We'll break down our offense. So if there's a part of the offense, so we start out as the whole. And then if there's a part of our offense that we're not getting what we want out of it, we'll break it up into the part at practice. We'll split up into groups and we'll rep out those actions. Um, so, and then, you know, diff different drills for like different things. Like if we need to work on our rebounding, we'll do that. We do the shell drill every day. Uh, we're big on shell. Our scoring system is one point for the score, one point for a stop, two points for offensive rebounds. The kids stay on defense for four minutes. Um, that gives us time to really, you know, ex you know, figure out who's not doing what. Um, and then we just have, we stick to our principles and our concepts. Like, you know, our kids know what they're supposed to do on defense, like when they're supposed to help, where the help comes from, how we defend off ball screens. I, I think our attention to detail is really what has made us, helped us be successful. That and um, our competitive edge. Um, and the kids have totally bought into that idea of like, nothing's going to come easy. Be the hardest working team on the floor. You know, this past weekend we played South Grand Prairie. Our kids were sick. Our like we had like seven or eight of our kids that were like really sick. Like Leah didn't feel good. Kendall felt horrible. Jordan felt horrible. Um, but when I when we in the huddle, I told him, I was like, listen, you cross the lines, you're not sick anymore. You have to be the hardest working team on the court. And they really buy into that. Yeah. And, and I want you to give uh, give me your favorite drill that you do every day, Coach. On that. I, I always like to steal one or two things. Uh, what is one thing that is kind of your DNA that you guys do every day and so forth that my listeners can also steal as well? Yeah, well, I mean, the the drill we do for our red is what we do. One of the things we do every single day, every car, we call red our head and trap drill. But that drill is kind of like, it's, just, it's not like a really a drill <laughs> drill. It's just kind of like a breakdown. But we do something called the 10-man break. The kids love the drill. Um, so 10-man break is a version of 11-man. Uh, um, except for there's no one, uh, you only have one defender back. So what happens is you go down and play three on two, whoever shoots it, turns it over or makes the bucket, right? Is has to transition back. So now you can't sulk, right? You can't like, oh, I missed it. The kids forget all the time to transition back. Right. So it's not like, so you know people make a shot or they turn it over and they take a second to think about what they just did. You really can't think because the two the other two defenders or whoever gets the rebound, whoever gets the rebound is hitting the outlet. And then they're coming down playing two, well, two on one until the third person, you know, hopefully they get back. So it could be two on one, it could be three on two, depending on how fast they transition back. Um, so the difference of the 11 man is that there's only one defender that stays back and not two. Right. Um, so that they have to face that, figure out how to defend two on one. Um, so we love that drill. We do it every day. Um, we also do another transition defensive drill called the convert drill. I mean, it's one of the drills that builds up and from, you know, two on one to three on two to four on three, and then eventually five on five, we're running our offense and we do that as well. Our scoring system stays the same in most of our drills where offensive rebound counts as two because we want our kids to box out. 
Um, and we want our kids to have the offensive rebounding mindset as well. Um, so they kind of work against each other, which is nice. Absolutely. Thank you, Coach, for sharing that. Um, offense, team offense, what is something that you guys do? Because I know nowadays it's, it's five out, four out. Um, I actually have – my team's not really that strong right now, but we have two big guys. So we go three out, two in. We try to get a little high-low action. That's what we have. I, I take my personnel and try to, to get the best out of them. Um, how, do you, how do you build your offensive program? So I usually think about what we have coming in, right? So evolve, every year it kind of evolves differently. Um, like this year we have a post player with, with uh, Z. Um, and so last year we really didn't because we had five, really five guards. We had no really real size. Kendall played the high post area. Um, we still, even though we have Z this year, we don't run a lot of sets with her on the block because we just feel like our strength is, uh, well, she can actually catch and go to the basket, get, get downhill from the high post area. So we don't feel like she needs to be this bona fide back to the basket player. Um, so we try to keep the paint cleared out for like, you know, our athletes, our big guards. Um, this year we ran, we ran a version of chin last year. We're running a version of chin this year. We like to keep the floor high and wide, open up driving lanes. Um, we do have some sets and some quick hitters. Um, and usually it ends in some type of two-man game on the weak side. Um, we run, we do have a, a continuity motion offense that we run. Uh, not my favorite thing to do, but it gets sometimes needed. We needed to get our kids moving around and get the defense to move so we could open things up. Um, but we never really want to play half court like everyone. Like we want to play in transition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we want to uh, let our defense create some offense for us, which we do a really good job of that. Um, but that's really how we kind of evolved every year. We look at it. We look at the personnel. Sometimes we, we scrap stuff from last year. Sometimes we bring stuff back. There's some plays that are staples that we'll keep just because they just work for us. Uh, but every year is like planning for a new team. Right. That's the hardest thing, right, Coach? It's like, what do we keep and what do we trash away? So right. how, how do you determine that? Because I'm, I'm one that I don't have a lot of patience. So if my offense is not it, I, I, there's some times where I think I should stay with it. Um, where, where's the fine line there that, that uh, you guys decide on? Because that's hard to do sometimes as coaches. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're losing. Here's the thing, too. I just like, I'm never like married to anything. Like if we get in the season and something's not working for us, I'm like, listen, we're not running this anymore. You know what I mean? I just like, I'm just not married to it. Like I'm constantly evolving. If the kids don't like it either, then I'm kind of like, uh, they don't really feel in this play. Like there's times in games I'll say like, cause I remember when I was a player, like there was a feel on the court. Like when a coach calls it, I'm like, no, but I maybe not have had like the willingness to say no. Right. Like I was kind of always like, let me just run this. So I always ask our kids sometimes when we're struggling on offense, like, what are y'all feeling out there on offense? Do you want to change it up? Do you want to, cause I feel like offense is more like organic. Like we can give them structure, but they have to make reads and decisions. Right. So even in practice, sometimes we're working on reads and we showing them what they what we want them to do, but letting them figure it out. Um, and I'm okay with that because I I don't want them to be robots. Like I never want a kid to be a robot. I'm never gonna tell a kid, oh, don't shoot the ball, or that's just not my style. Um, because they're so young, they're too young for me to do that. Um, so we give them some structure, but I think ultimately, like if something didn't work for us last year, we didn't like it, we'll take it away. And then depending on what group, sometimes we'll bring things back um, that we couldn't have run the two years prior, but we'll bring it back. Cause now like we didn't run dribble handoff ever two years ago, right. but this year we have more dribble handoff because our kids are better at it. Right. Um, right. So, you know, it's just kind of like, we look at it, we play around with things, but you know, offense is so has to be so natural and organic sometimes. 
Yeah. And before you go, I want you to get kind of get into your player development because that's ultimately the key to coaching. A lot of people think it's, you know, um, your X's and O's or, you know, whatever, but player development is so important. What do you guys do? I know that for a program that I'm at, we, we need basic skills. I mean, but your program, what do you guys focus on in your player development? program. I'm sure you guys do it every day, right? Yeah. So we do, we break up guard posts every day and depending on who needs what sometimes, because we have, unfortunately I have a good amount of coaches. So it just depends on like what certain kids need. So like, like if it's Z, like finish along the baseline right now, she's struggling. So we'll send her off with one coach and say, we need her to work on finish along the baseline. If it's, you know, we need to be working on our footwork coming off the elevator screen. Sometimes we'll work on, we'll isolate those things, those actions in our offense sometimes. Um, and we'll split up like with certain kids. You know, if someone's not shooting well or not finishing, we'll take a coach off to the side with that kid and work on like just them working on getting shots up. Uh, we have one kid a couple of years ago just couldn't catch the ball. So she was on toss back every day. Um, so it, it all depends on what's happening in the game and like what we're seeing and what they need. I mean, I have six coaches on staff. I can, you know, nice. you know, put kids in with different coaches depending on what they need. So we meet and we talk about those things. I'm also very fortunate that our kids put in work during the season, you know, like Jordan Jackson's in here every morning with her dad or her, her brother-in-law, you know, getting up shots or doing stuff in the morning on her own. Uh, Kendall's in here every day getting shots up. Jaden's doing her own thing. Sometimes Kai's. So I'm lucky that my kids are actually putting in also additional work outside of what we do at practice. Um, so, you know, their schedule is grueling. They, they have film after school most days. They lift. Then they have practice for two hours and they're going home doing homework or whatever. And then some of them get up the next day and they're back here training in the morning. So, I mean, they're really doing a lot of work on their own as well, in addition to what we do. Yes, that culture you have developed there. Was that something that was um, that was already there or something? What, you, what, what was the separator there on getting that culture, that work ethic, that commitment? Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, and I'm just, I, I honestly feel like that was in place because of the way this school is itself. Like the school is set up with the rigor of the academics and how they're, these kids are so mature and they're forced to like advocate for themselves and do like stuff on their own and be, um, you know, I don't know, just being like really efficient with their time and stuff like that. Like they're, they're so mature off the court. This school has a way of maturing these kids. So that work ethic is there and exists in the classroom. I think it just took that trick to trickle over to the basketball program as well. And, you know, one of the things about me is like, I'm a hard worker. Like I, there's, for me, it's not about the outcome or the rewards or like getting a, 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 a Naismith recognition. Like it's not, it's never been about that for me. This right. is what I love to do. It's my passion. I'm just going to outwork my opponents. That's how I was as a player as well. So that's something that, you know, all of our kids have taken on that same mentality. Like, you know, we're going to do the work. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to lead by example. Um, and they know that I'm going to work hard for them. I tell them that every day. Like I never come to practice with a bad attitude or feeling sick or down or, you know, they always have a practice plan in place. So I expect the same from them and they have 100% bought into it. Um, and, you know, I, I just think there's nothing that's above me. And I think they feel the same way. Like I'm willing to get down the trenches and do the work. Well, today might be different because of your tire situation. So you might come in really upset, Coach. I know. Um, I know you'll come with a good attitude. Um, yeah. Hey, before you go, talk about, I was really interested that you call it the badge of honor. And I'm always wondering, 
when you're the first African-American to woman to get the Naismith? Like, is that something that we need to stop as a society? Like, we get to stop that. You, you were, yes, you were the first, but is that something that, talk about from your perspective on that. Is that necessary for the public to, to look at you in that situation? Talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, I haven't thought about that deeply before. Um, you know, it definitely is a nice recognition, but, you know, I don't know. I just haven't really thought about that. I mean, and probably people don't know I'm actually biracial. My mom is actually white. My, my dad's black. Sure, so, sure. You yeah. know, so, um, but I, you know, I just, I never thought too deeply about it. You know, I, I even the awards and recognition, like, I just don't do it for that. So like, <laughs> it's nice to get those things, but like, I just, and it's fine to celebrate, but it's not something I just like, hang on to. Like, oh, I'm trying to get this. I'm, I just don't. Like, I'm not, don't want to diminish the honor. Um, but I just, that's just not why I'm doing this. And like, I never got it. I was doing the same thing when I was at Woodbridge. I'm just on a bigger platform right now and people recognize right. it. Um, but I, I actually felt like when I was at Woodbridge, I, I did more work there because those kids like needed sure. me in other ways. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just never thought about it deeply enough to even you know, be concerned with it. Right. That's a good way to phrase it on that because some of the best coaches I know are under 500 this year, you know what I'm saying? And they're doing an outstanding job getting yeah. the best out of, we focus so much on state championships and all that kind of stuff, but that that's just the way it is now. I, I mean, I know I get it. So you like that for the kids, right? The kids are, you know, if you're not scoring 20 points a game, you don't get, you're not showing up in the highlights or on the highlight reel. And it's unfortunate because like I said, Leah Harmon with 24 assists is like, She's right. responsible for like what 48 points, you know, or more for the last four victories. And that needs to be recognized. Yeah, for sure. And that's that unselfish culture that you have developed there and grown. Coach, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know you got a lot of things going on out there. Uh, who who's your next opponent coming up on that 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 really kind of scares you a little bit? So we go out to Arizona in our bracket in Arizona. Well, one, we're gonna play four games in that's tough in itself. And then playing national level competition, but our bracket's pretty solid at La Jolla country days in there. Uh, Lujai has yeah, done really, really well this year. They're in there. Uh, we already played BMAC and St. John's is in our area. So excuse me, we have a, um, we're going to find ourselves in some sort of crazy matchup out there. Um, but we are going to just take everything one game at a time. Like we always do. Absolutely on that. And I've had, La, La Jolla coach. I have the MIDI coach. I've had a lot of coaches on the podcast. So now I, now I got, I, now I got the recognized Naismith Hall of Fame coach on here, joining on the championship vision podcast. Yeah. Coach, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your wisdom and congratulations with all your accolades and everything you're doing with the program. Thank you for sharing the game with me. Yeah, of course. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, coach. Take care now. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Dr. Dish Basketball is accelerating player performance with the most innovative game-like training solution available, allowing coaches and players to get better faster than ever before. By providing the most usable and advanced shooting machines, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball has become the preferred source for basketball training with progressive coaches and players. Listeners of the podcast or event attendees are eligible for exclusive discounts. Mention the Championship Vision Podcast to your sales rep when you call in. For more information, 
visit drdishbasketball.com or call 888-887-7453. Coaches, I'd like to introduce our new Championship Vision podcast sponsor, Grip Spritz. Playing on Dusty Dirty has become normal to players at every level. The only answer was those peel-off sticky sheets. Players know they only work a few possessions. Coaches know they're incredibly expensive. The issue is they have adhesives. If you step on something sticky, your shoes become magnets to the dust and dirt on the court, so you're back every dead ball. Grip spritz remove the adhesives to allow the shoes to grip all game long with just one treatment. Our goal is to elongate the life of players' shoes, stop them from slipping no matter what type of court they're playing on, and save schools money from buying countless sticky sheets that just don't work. Go to gripspritz.net or on Twitter at grit slash spritz. Also, they will be at the Legends at the Grove Clinic. If you use the code LEGENDS, you will get a 10% discount. Go to their website now, Grip Spritz, the new innovative product you can't go without. Do you want to be a better coach? Georgia Southern University can help. We offer a fully online master's in kinesiology created by coaches for working coaches. Our full-time faculty combines for over 100 years of coaching experience. Georgia Southern's program is nationally accredited, so you know you are getting quality. We pioneered fully online programs over a decade ago and have had students from 27 states and multiple countries. No matter where you are in the world, Georgia Southern University can help. There is no GRE requirement, and it only takes 14 months to complete. You start classes in May and finish the following July. We have coaches just starting out to veteran coaches of over 30-plus years. So no matter where you are on your coaching journey, Georgia Southern can help. Follow us at GS Coach Ed or look us up, and Georgia Southern can help you be a better coach fully online. Coaches, this is Coach Matt Dennis, and I'm truly excited and blessed to join Coach Furtado on the Championship Vision Podcast. If you're a coach looking to get better at your craft, you're really going to love this episode. If you'd like more great coaching content, I encourage you to check out other episodes on the podcast, as well as to head over to CoachMattDennis.com, where you can join my newsletter and sign up for a free trial of the Coaching Lab, where my goal is to help coaches find more success in less time.